Taking off from the water baptism last Sunday, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And I don't know how many of you think the way that I think, but my journey, my life, I've always kind of calibrated or aligned to the journey from Egypt to Canaan. It's kind of a a progress, a map of progress from where I started in Egypt when I was serving the devil, Pharaoh, when I was a slave, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, I was doing what I was forced to do, sin had its hold on me, Uh, and the more I struggled to get free, the tighter the bondage. And then the Lord sent a deliverer named Jesus to put his finger in the devil's face and said, let my people go. And it ended up costing him his life. He was the firstborn. Jesus was the lamb that was slain, whose blood went over the doorposts of the house. And uh, Jesus was also, Moses was also a picture of Jesus, uh, who led them out then through the, through the Red Sea. And, uh, and, so, and, and, and the Passover lamb was also a picture of Jesus that they ate. Jesus said, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. Uh, and so they uh, had to eat unleavened bread. They had to go on a fresh diet and, and free from the sin. Leaven, in this case, represents sin. And so they ate uh, bread that was unleavened. The Lord puts us on a new diet as we begin this journey with him. Uh, we don't feed on the filth that we fed on before, the garbage that we fed on before. I'm not just talking about porn. I'm talking about gossip. I'm talking about slander. I'm talking about, you know, all the other things that we fed on when we were in, in Egypt, in the world. You know, we don't feed on that. We feed on un, feast on unleavened bread, a bread of sincerity, a bread of truth, bread of righteousness. And we came out through the Red Sea and, uh, and the waters parted, and that's a picture of water baptism uh, that, that leads us out of the dominion of Satan into a place where he no longer has dominion over us. And he, when his army tried to follow us, they were destroyed in the Red Sea because his jurisdiction ends at the Red Sea. He no longer has jurisdiction over our life after we pass through the Red Sea. One of the first things that God began to speak to me about after I was uh, born again, after I was set free and... The Holy Spirit came into my life as you have to get baptized. And, uh, and so, little bunny trail, I went to our leaders at the time, our fearless leaders at the time, and I said, hey, the Lord's speaking to me about getting baptized. And uh, I, they said, well, that shouldn't be any problem. You can join the next baptismal classes, you know. And I said, wait a minute. I, I don't think he's talking to me about that kind of baptism. It's not about becoming a church member. It's not about going through instruction classes. It's about being immersed, being buried, and resurrected into Christ. Oh, well, we couldn't do that. I said, well, let's just go down to the creek and do it. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Oh, we might get in trouble if we did that. And... uh so they prayed about it and came back to me and said, we decided we better not do that. If the senior pastor found out, we'd be in trouble. And so, but we know of someone who probably would. 
And so they sent me to Leo Fenton down in New Philadelphia. And uh, Leo asked me a couple of questions and said, yeah, I think you're ready to get baptized. And uh, so we had a baptism service, and I was exposed to spirit-filled worship. And uh, prophecy flowed over me. And I'm like, this is what heaven must be like, you know? And uh, Leo became a father in my life. He was never my pastor, per se. Uh, but he became a father in my life, and the things that he poured into me uh, changed my life. I remember one time, uh, specifically before we moved to Northern Virginia, I went to see Leo. Oh, this is a money trail, ain't it? I went to see Leo, and uh, I, I, would, I would get this urge. I knew that I had to go see him for whatever reason. And every time I came, it was like he was ready. He would get his scripture, his Bible out, and he would just pour into me. Just, I mean, he'd just spend an hour just pouring into me. And when I left, I knew I was changed. I knew I would never be the same. Uh, it was through Leo's teaching that I first encountered what it was to be righteous by my faith, not by my works. I was set free. It revolu- After that message that he preached that one time, I went up to his wife and I said, I want a dozen copies of that message. I wanted to pass them out to everyone I knew that was hungry for God. It, it rocked my world. It revolutionized my life. And uh, so anyway, I always honored him as a father in my life because, uh, you know, Scripture talks about honoring the father so that it may be well with you. And I just had this, this sense that um, if I honored those who had fathered something in me, that God would honor uh, something of my own journey as well. And uh, so I always honored him. He's 97 this year, and uh, he was in the hospital for a while, and they didn't know if he was going to make it out, um, but he did. So I arranged to go down and see him week before last on Wednesday, and I got to spend some time with him, warmed up some food for him in the microwave, and watched him eat and talk, and we ca- caught up, reminisced, and told stories, and caught him up with what the Lord's doing in our life and ministry and missions and all that. Prayed for him for healing for the effects of the last stroke that he had. And, and then just in the moment, unpremeditated, I said, Leo, would you lay your hands on me and pray for me and bless me? Sure I would. No hesitation. So I got down on my knees in front of him, and he blessed me. Didn't hold anything back. Lord, everything that you've given me, I give to him, his wife, his ministry, missions, school, and he just, he just blessed me. And I left that place knowing that I was blessed. I felt, left that place feeling like Jacob must have felt after Isaac blessed him. Except I got it honestly. I didn't get it dishonestly. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and within an hour after I got home from that visit, I get a phone call and find out that a major resistance to us buying the property in Worcester had been removed within an hour. Something that had stood against this thing for over a year, it was just resolved. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I mean, that had, you know, and that's not what all that blessing was all about. That blessing was something that's long-term and probably going to affect generations after me even, just because of the, the repercussions of it. Uh, but that kind of prompted what I said last Sunday. Often when we want, need to go through a door, we're looking for a battering ram. Break the door down. The Lord says, I've got a key. And in this case, the key was the Father's blessing. 
It's worth more than silver or gold. Amen. Anyway, that was a long bunny trail, but I'm back. So they sang and they rejoiced and they danced because of the great deliverance from the Egyptians. And right after that, it says in Exodus 15, 22, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. Shur, is, uh, the Hebrew word for Shur means journey. And they went through three days in the wilderness and found no water. So the first place they went was to a wilderness named Shur. Now, there were many wildernesses that they passed through on their journey to Canaan, the land of their inheritance. And each of them represents an issue that we have to deal with, a testing that we have to pass. So the Hebrew word means journey. And so if you're going to make it, from Egypt to Canaan, you're going to have to embrace the reality that you're committed to a journey to a pilgrimage. Listen, there's plenty of people who got stuck in that first wilderness, and they're still there today. They set up their camp. This is our camp. This is as far as we're going to go. We have a truth that nobody else has. And every successive wilderness after that, there's been people in the Christian restoration since the days of Martin Luther that have set their stake there, said, this is as far as we need to go. We got it all, and the body of Christ needs what we have, and we've got something that nobody you know, understand. And that's where a lot of these denominational movements have come from, is because we decided that our revelation is... The, the best and the most re, the greatest revelation that's ever been given, and we have it all now, and now everyone needs to become like us. God help us. Many of our own ancestors fell into those traps. Um, but we've got to be committed to a journey, a pilgrimage, not to some of the, one of these wildernesses in the desert between Egypt and Canaan, but to Canaan itself, the land of our inheritance. Amen? We're not going back to Egypt. We need to burn those bridges. We've come not to go three days' journey in the wilderness and worship the Lord and come back to Egypt, but we've come into a, a journey that we now need to be committed to that we're going to go on from into the land of our inheritance. And you can't march to the beat of your old friends who don't know the Lord and follow the Lord at the same time. You can't do it. One of the things that I experienced in my life, and I'm not trying to bring conviction on any of you, but if the Word of God does, that's fine. One of the things that I experienced when I got born again, just like, it was almost like magic. That's what it seemed like at the time. My old friends that I did all that nasty stuff with stopped coming around me. It's like the devil put the word out, stay away from him. He's dangerous. Don't listen to him. Don't talk to him. Don't come under his influence. He's dangerous. I mean, that happened in the world of sin and happened in the world of religion both. Don't, it's dangerous to talk to that guy. So there's some, there's some bridges that need to be burned. There are some ties that need to be cut. And uh, here, here's the thing. When you're a baby Christian, you're not going to save the world. I know you want to. 
But you need to get on a solid foundation so that the things that you've been set free from, you're no longer vulnerable to. I could tell you some horror stories about my journey and how I had to learn that lesson the hard way. But you cannot, as a baby Christian, go out and tackle the very thing that you've just been set free from and expect to be unscathed because it doesn't work that way. You've got to get strong. You've got to get established. You've got to get on a solid foundation. You've got to be submitted to authority. You've got to get involved in a family, a spiritual family that loves you and surrounds you so that you're not alone. Even Jesus and his disciples sent them out two by two. None of them went out and did their own thing and, and, and were able to succeed in winning the world. It doesn't, you know, so, so there's some things that we need to say goodbye to. And there's a cost that all of us need to count. Amen? In verse 23, it says, Now when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. Mara means bitterness. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? These, these guys were whiny babies. Now listen, I just had this conversation with Amanda a few minutes ago. I, I don't know why, but I, I was always wired to be an optimist. So it's hard for me to relate to Christians who always see the negative side of everything. I'm not sure even how that happens. How can you be a Christian and see the dark side as more powerful than the light? You know? And uh, so there's something that, I don't know how I got into that. These whiny babies. You know, there, there's, there's a place for you to lose your victim mentality and to stop whining about every obstacle that comes along and realize that here's an opportunity for God to show himself. Amen? Here's an opportunity for the power of God to be released, for him to break through an area of your life that's going to build you up. You're going to be stronger in faith than you were before because God proved himself to you instead of you just whining and, and complaining right away about what God's not doing. When something shifts inside of us and what God is doing becomes a greater reality than what he's not doing, then you're on your way to victory. Amen? Well, amen. So they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when, it cast, when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. What do you think about that? Sweet, right? As we journey through this wilderness, we have to confront the waters of bitterness within us. The first thing. The first issue they had to deal with after they passed through the Red Sea was the waters of bitterness. Rejection we've faced, injustice we've experienced, abuse that's happened to us. Some of us have been violated or abandoned. These are real things that were done to us that we didn't cause. We weren't to blame for that stuff. They settled into a place of fear inside of us. A feeling of helplessness. Inner anger, rage, and resentment. And maybe you didn't act out toward others, but it turned inward. And it turned, when it turns inward, it turns into depression. 
We become angry at ourselves, angry at our own victimization, angry that we were helpless in that situation. It doesn't even make sense to our natural mind, but this is what we do to ourselves. And then pretty soon we're suicidal and we wonder where it came from. Depression and self-hatred often take over. And eventually the life-giving waters inside of us turn bitter. But now that we've experienced the life-saving effects of the blood of the Lamb and the forgiveness that it brought us, now that we've been delivered from the sentence of bondage to Egypt and its ways, the Lord shows us a tree that has the power to turn our bitter waters sweet. And it's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that when it's applied to those waters of bitterness, bitterness will turn those bitter waters sweet so that we can have a life-giving source inside of us that Jesus talked about when he said, He that believes, he that believes in me as the scripture is said, Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. We can't heal people and give life to people if the waters inside of us are bitter. We can teach what we know but we can only reproduce what we are. What we are is actually what's always going to come out. Matthew 27, 34 and 48, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall on the cross. The bitterness that's had you stuck in a place of victimization was put on Jesus. The cross where he died has power to turn your bitter waters sweet so that they're life-giving waters again. Put your finger on that truth and remember that as we go. Then he made a statute and an ordinance for them And there he tested them. As your eyes open to this reality, you're facing a test. Will you pass this test or not? Will you receive God's remedy or not? And he said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Here's a key to healing and health that the church has kind of glossed over. It's getting those bitter waters sweet and diligently obeying the voice of the Lord. Not to rebel against anything that he says, but to allow him to set our hearts free, to heal our hearts, to make us whole, to deal with issues that we've had against our brothers and our sisters. Here's our answer to a life free of sickness and disease. 
And I am convinced I will not let go of it. I am tenaciously hanging on to the promise that I'm going to see a day when the church of Jesus is full of healthy people. And when we pray for the sick, they're visitors because God's people walk in divine health because they understand these concepts and they're walking in obedience to the voice of the Lord. I know that sounds radical, but I believe it and I'm not going to stop believing it. Unless the Lord tells me that I've been believing a lie, and I don't believe it. If they, if they had this promise under the old covenant, we have greater promises under the new. If the type of the cross could make bitter water sweet, then the reality of the cross can certainly make bitter water sweet inside of us. So it begins with getting rid of all bitterness, Resentment and unforgiveness. And until we do, the bitterness in our heart seeps into our mind, into our emotions. It does a hostile takeover of our memories. Then it starts affecting our bodies. It affects the chemical balances in our bodies. It affects the hormone balances in our bodies. It shifts the electrical frequencies of our brains. And it transmits altered frequencies to our bodies. And then it affects the frequencies that we're tuned into. And what we're hearing. And soon we're on the frequency of the accuser. And all we hear is accusation. Accusation against ourselves and accusations against the ones who hurt us. We say, but I forgave them. But we know that forgiveness didn't come for our heart from our hearts because there's still bitter waters there. Pretty soon we're struggling with sickness and ailments. The promises of God aren't working for us. And worse yet, the people under our authority are affected as well. Because everything that affects us affects those who are under our authority. The same way that those who are under Adam's, those who came after Adam, were all affected by what happened to him. Even the planet that was under his authority was affected and came under a curse because of what he came under. The same thing is true with righteousness. We've been in a battle in, I guess I can be a little bit honest, honey. Is that right? Is that okay? Yeah, we can be a little honest. Okay. I mean, shouldn't have to ask, shouldn't have to ask you that, right? Um, Amanda's grandmother was a whiner. Her mom was a whiner. They'd make you feel bad within minutes of coming into their presence with all the things that were wrong. So that's what she inherited. She was named after her grandmother. And, and she has fought a battle for the last 37 years. I've watched her fight this battle. And I've watched her get kicked by this thing over and over, and I've watched her shift and come out on top. 
The battle that she has fought has been a long, tenacious battle. If there's anyone who's more tenacious than me, it might be her, I'm not sure. But she's got that bulldog thing going on where she gets a hold of something and she's not going to let go. And, uh, and so I've watched this thing firsthand and I've watched the effects of it shift into her life, shift her into being a powerful, positive person of influence. And I'm here to tell you that if she can fight that battle and win, any one of you can fight that battle and win because I dare say there's probably none of you that inherited the level of mess. That maybe you did. I don't know. I, I shouldn't quantify it like that. But, uh, but she inherited a multi-generational mess of negativity. And you don't just, that's not just a, we, we'd like to think that we, we get a breakthrough and it's one and done and then we it's usually a little bit more of an extended battle than that because that thing wants to come back and visit you and haunt you because it's not just a demon, it's a mindset that was wrapped around you growing up. It's a way to think. It's a paradigm of life. It's something that you, it's, it's the way that you're programmed growing up. And so she's had to break those mindsets and break that programming and all of that. And it's, it's amazing uh, you know, what I've, what I've watched the Lord doing in her life and how she's, the tenacity that she's responded to. If, if fish has done anything for her, it's kind of forced her to get into material and get into disciplines where she encountered the truth, and the truth didn't just go into her mind. It wasn't just an academic truth for her. She worked, it, it, I, I watched it transform something deep inside of her uh, because she got a hold of the things that she was studying and she prayed into it and she met it and she, and she fought for those truths to become a reality in her life and it did. And, and, and it was probably the best investment money-wise and time-wise that she ever made besides marrying me, of course. That, that has to be about number one, pretty close. Um, I don't know about you, but I care about the ones who come after me. I'm not, this isn't about me. It's, this is not about me. That's, that's something that I laid down a long time ago. If it was just about me, I'd be, I'd be happy and comfortable somewhere. What I'm doing is not to make me happy and comfortable at all. This is about those who come after me. I made a decision years ago that my ancestors, or my, not my ancestors, my descendants are going to inherit something better than I did. And I wasn't talking about having more money. I was talking about a greater spiritual reality so that they could live into their kingdom inheritance in a way that I had to fight to come into. And I'm still fighting. And I'm still fighting those generational realities that want to suck us back into ways of negativity and, and defeat and victimization. I refuse to bow to those things. And, and I 
pray to God, if anything, that there's a generation of warriors in this place that makes a determination that they're going to fight whatever devils they have to fight to loose themselves and to loose their families, to loose those who come after them from the terrible atrocities that happened to our ancestors so that we can give our, the ones who come after us a better inheritance than what we were given. But it's not going to happen by us just, oh, okay, I receive that. There's a fight that we need to engage in. Amen? The souls of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are at stake. And I, I have made a determination that my vision is going to be a thousand-year vision. That I want to lay foundations that go deep and, 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 and are powerful that generations after I'm gone can build on not to give me a name. I don't care about a name in this world. I, I actually run from that, as you may have noticed. I don't like notoriety. I don't like fame. I don't like the exposure to everything that's out there. That's why I've been withdrawing more and more from social media and all of that. It's not about me getting recognized, getting hits, getting, uh, getting uh, what do you call those, approval ratings, ratings, likes. It's not about any of that for me. That became so unhealthy for uh, what I saw in that world that i just been withdrawing more and more and more from it because I want to talk to the sons and daughters that are in front of me. Does that make sense? Now I'm going to read some scripture. Out of 1 Corinthians 11, and this is leading up to communion. And I really want us to take this to heart. Because this is going to become a big deal. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, let a person examine themselves, and so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, Remember, this is not Old Testament. This is not Old Covenant. This is New Testament. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or have died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we're judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. I like... I like the way the Passion Translation puts this, so I'm going to read it. Verse 26 in the Passion says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story. I love that. What happened 2,000 years ago almost on the cross is becoming present tense reality all over again. Proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. 
For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate their own attitude and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. For he continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. This insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. If you do not sit in judgment of others, you will avoid judgment yourself. But when we're judged, it's the Lord's training so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Before we receive communion, I want to, I'd like all of us to stand. I almost called Andy this morning and said, hey, can we get across down at the altar today? Because there's something about coming to an actual representation of the cross and doing business there. But this morning, if you were convicted that there's bitter waters inside of you that need to be healed, I want you to bring that to the altar and let's apply the cross to that so that healing can come and those bitter waters can become sweet. Let's start there.